Life is full of challenges, but it's what you do with those challenges that can mean the difference between success and grinding your way through life. We're talking to Chris Newsom of Newsom Electrical Construction and Philip Tussey of HCC Group on this episode of Range of Influence. Welcome back to another episode of ROI Podcast or Range of Influence brought to you by Premier Networks. I'm Russell Lahodney, President and CEO of the Columbia County Chamber of Commerce. And as always, I'm with my friend and co-host Reagan Williams, Senior Vice President at Maybaum Real Estate and past chair of the chamber. Great to be back in the studio, Russ. We have a great show lined up today with our two guests, Chris Newsom who started his business, Newsom Electric Construction, a little over a decade ago, and Philip Tussey, who is really working to help veterans learn a trade and help them develop skills for life. Yeah, I met with Chris and Philip outside of the podcast studio, and their story really made an impact on me, and I wanted them to come into the studio and share it. I can't wait to get them in here, but before we do, let's hear from our presenting sponsor, Premier Networks. Premier Networks is the premier information technology and cybersecurity firm in the CSRA. You have enough to worry about for your business. Leave it to the Augusta IT guys to ensure your IT is done right. No ironclad contracts, no fine print, just fast, reliable technology from an experienced customer-centric team, locally owned. Call for a free cyber assessment because in 2021, IT has to be right. Premier Networks, the official IT partner of the Augusta Green Jackets. Well, hey, Chris. Hey, Philip. Thanks for joining us in the podcast studio here. How are you doing this morning? Thanks Good. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So you guys have an interesting story, and uh, it, we, we met before this and had a conversation, and it really kind of touched me on, on what you guys are doing. Um, a, Chris your success in your business, uh, but then Philip, how you took your life experience and are now helping others. So, uh, but I, Chris, I want to start with you. You've created this business that's thriving. First of all, tell us a little bit about your business, what you do, and then how did you get into electrical construction business? So uh, I own Newsome Electrical Construction, NEC. Uh, we specialize in industrial, electrical, and, and heavy commercial we do a lot of work at the industrial facilities, uh, manufacturing facilities around Augusta. Um, I got into it at an early age. I say early age, 18, 19 years old. Um, but <clears throat> to get that backstory, we got to back up a little bit. Uh, and it goes back to when I met Philip. I, in high school, I started uh, dating a girl, and it was Philip's sister. Her name was Tara. And uh, we dated for probably about two months, and she got pregnant. Uh, and... After she got pregnant, we, we went and talked to the preacher and all that and said we wanted to get married. And he said, well, well, he gave us a good piece of advice back then. He said, being pregnant is not a reason to get married. The only reason to get married is because you love each other. He said, "You getting pregnant, that's a mistake that you did. But you don't want to make a second mistake by just getting married if you don't really love each other. But we knew from the time we met that, you know, that we were right for each other and, and we knew we loved each other. So we went ahead and got married. And getting married at 18, I had to drop out of high school and, and go to work because I grew up in a real modest family. My dad was a firefighter for uh, the Richmond County. That was before they consolidated. So uh, we grew up in McBean, didn't have a lot of money, uh, 
never wanted for anything. Always had shelter. Always had food. Uh, both my parents were very hard working. My mom was a homemaker. She stayed at home. But there's four of us boys. So uh, when you got four boys on a firefighter's income, you're not putting them in daycare, right? So um, after we got married I, and I dropped out of high school, I went to work. And one of the first jobs I had was working at Kimberly Clark for a contractor driving forklifts. And the department I was in at the plant had a lot of older guys in it that had been there 35, 40 years. They were heading towards that retirement area. So I was kind of like the heavy lifter of the area because I was a young boy. And, uh, and then they'd put the parts out into the plant for repair. Uh, over the course of me working there, I heard different times these guys would say, man, if I had to do it over again, I'd be one of these plant electricians. These boys make good money. And I heard that like five or six different times from different guys. And I, I went home and told Tara one day, I'm like, man, you know, I don't want to be one of these old timers that says if I had to do it over again, I'd do this or do that. Uh, I want to I want to go ahead and like pursue something now so that later on in life, I'm not looking back saying, man, I missed this opportunity or missed that opportunity. And some of that goes back to watching my dad. My dad come up under my grandparents that came out of the Depression. And they they come from a sharecropper family in Wrens uh, and – you know, never threw away anything, saved everything. They just were real tight. So daddy kind of carried that mentality. And I watched him come up with a couple of good opportunities for businesses, uh, but was always kind of scared to make that leap, you know, to move out outside of what he knew in, in the firefighter realm. Um, so, you know, seeing that growing up, I think, put instilled something in me. It's like, hey, when you see opportunity, go after it. And then, you know, I got to credit a lot to the Lord because uh, I feel like he gives me a lot of insight and, and wisdom in seeing things. So a lot of times before I feel like other people see it. Uh, but uh, so after hearing that and, and talking with Tara, I said, I'm going to pursue this. So there was a guy that I grew up with that went to church with us. He, him and his dad had started an electrical contracting company. And they were out at DSM Chemicals at the time. Uh, and I called him and said, hey, man, you know, I'd like to get a shot at this. Don't have any background in it don't have any training in it never did it before but i'll work hard for you if you'll give me an opportunity and they they let me come out as a green helper and uh went to work out at the chemical plant uh did that for a couple years moved back to kimberly clark with a company called austin industrial which was another industrial contractor and ended up working out there till about i think 2007 ish uh at that point uh there was a Another contractor doing work at the NSA facility at Fort Gordon. Um, and they were paying real real high money, top dollar at the time, because uh, it was government work, right? So they contacted me. I finished up at Kimberly Clark when I ever worked with them. Well, one of the incentives they had is uh, they would pay you to get your electrical license. And and I would already did side work. You know, starting at a young age, I started behind the eight balls. So overtime, side work, any of that stuff, I was doing it constantly. Um, so... I had already kind of developed that side business hustle, but uh, didn't have a license to do it. So I went ahead and got my state contractor's license when I was with them. And then that opened the door for me to be able to start my business uh, after getting that license. Uh, and the first place we worked at uh, was EasyGo. Uh, had an opportunity to come up with them. We went out, did one little job, me and another guy. Uh, they were happy with that, did another little job, and then they said, hey, we can't promise anything, uh, but we'll, we'll give you a shot. Just come out here, you know, daily, and whatever work we got, we'll give you. Well, that was another 
big stepping stone because I was making, you know, six figures back at the Ford. So now I had to just say, okay, it ain't side anymore. It's got to be 100%, uh, which was scary. But one thing I've always lived by in life is any decision you make based off of fear is the wrong decision. So anytime fear tries to creep in, and it does it constantly, no matter how long you've been in business, you're going to run into that fear. Uh, but I said, you know what? This is a good opportunity. At the end of the day, I've still got a trade. So if I walk away from this job making good money and things don't work out, I can still go back, right? I still have uh, a safety net per se. So, um, I, you know, put in my two weeks notice, quit that job, went out there with no promise, but just worked hard, tried to do my best and, uh, and worked my way up, you know, to two employees and four employees and six employees. Uh, and then started picking up other job sites through word of mouth. We've never had any sales group or, you know, advertising promotions or anything like that. It's just been word of mouth from these engineers and, uh, you know, maintenance guys that work at these different facilities. But when I, when I started the business, one of the places I struggled since I didn't have any family that was from a business background is uh, I didn't have any knowledge of business. So uh, you've heard the saying, the school of hard knocks. We, I kind of learned through some hard knocks, right? M made some mistakes early on, some costly mistakes, because that's what they always say, education is expensive, right? Well, in business, when you get an education, it's very expensive. Uh, so uh, we, I learned a lot early on. And, and after I grew to the point where I had enough money where I could start investing in other people, that was one of the places where my heart was when I, when I recognized driving another person that I had myself and, and a, a, a relevant idea to start a business. I always tried to invest in that person, help them get off the ground, get them in touch with the right people, just point them in the right directions with accountants and business attorneys and, and contacts and, and be there to be, try to help be a guiding light to them that I didn't feel like I had at the time. Cause, uh, one thing you'll notice is that, uh, when you're starting a business, anybody that recognizes you as competition will really try to hide things from you. They don't want to. They don't want you to necessarily see what they did or how they did it. Well, me on the other hand, I've tried to be an open book, right? And uh, there's nothing mystical about it. There's no one get rich quick scheme. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a people talk about five year plans and ten year plans. I'm a firm believer in that, right? And I tell my kids, set goals five, ten years down the road, look, think about where you want to be and then identify the steps that you're going to have to take to get to those places. Uh, but, you know, I've had a lot of good mentors in life, and like I said, I feel like a lot of the credit goes to God for giving me wisdom and insight to see things. Um, but with all that is where Philip comes into play. Uh, so with him working at SRS – he was working on uh, the security force, and they were working at the uh, the gates, checking badges in and out. <clears throat> I saw something in Philip, especially coming out of Marines. Uh, he grew a lot. Like I said, I knew him since he was fourteen, right? Uh, after going through that process, and and you know he he's got a, a reason he grew a lot while he's in the Marines, and he'll tell that story. But uh, I recognize that he had good people skills. He was disciplined. And uh, he was a go-getter, right? Uh, well, with he'd work out there for a couple months and, and or a year and get laid off, and he'd come work with us for a year or so. So he, he'd learn to trade, 
when he was working with us, and then and then the job would open back up, and he'd go to work, and then they'd go on strike, and he'd come back and work with us. And after a while, I'm like, man, you've got all this potential, right? I see all this potential in you, and I and I can see a good path for you. Uh, but, you know, you're not going to reach that just sitting on, at that gate checking badges every day. Uh, you know, you've got a, a real opportunity here. And, uh, and then hearing him talk, he had a heart for his brothers and sisters uh, coming out of the military that were uh, struggling to acclimate back to civilian life, struggling for purpose. And, and that's another thing we talked about. You having this business will help you provide opportunity for these guys. And, that, and that's kind of how we, we move into Phillips' uh, company starting up. Well, Chris, before we get to Philip, because I'm really interested to hear that story, you know, your story, I mean, super fascinating, uh, how you turned your, your situations that you found yourself in early into what you have today and what you've been able to build. Um, you know, but listening to that, I, I would kind of expect anybody who, is, who was found themselves as a, as a teen dad in a family that had, you know, not a lot of risk takers, a lot, they were seeking a lot of stability. What was maybe the moment or what was the education or the mentorship or, or whatever it was that taught you or helped you or, you know, motivated you to start your own business? Because, you know, I, I'm looking through that story here and there's, there's a lot of reason for you to seek shelter and seek security. And I just want to really make sure that I'm prepared protecting and providing for my family, but you stepped out and, and you said, you know, to, to not have any fear, you kind of stepped out in faith. What, what was it in your life that helped you get to that point? So, you know, uh, there's, there's a couple of different attributes, I think. So I was the oldest out of the four boys, right? So I had three younger brothers and naturally when you're the oldest, you're going to be the leader, right? So early on, of course, I'm developing leader skills unknown. Uh, but, you know, looking out for the brothers and, and make sure they're safe and, and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to. Uh, but the biggest thing I can attribute it to is my dad. And uh, he he passed a couple years ago at, at an early age. But uh, he, uh, he instilled a lot of work ethic in me and uh, a lot of drive. You know, I watched him struggle. You know, any, anybody that has a firefighter or an EMT or – a police officer in our family watches them work two or three jobs. You know, it's, it's hard to just support a family, especially at our size, off of just that single income, right? So I'd work with daddy on side jobs, painting houses. or, or uh, My family back into my grandpa's area was like carpenters. That was their background. The house that I grew up in, in McBean, my dad my grandpa built it by hand for like $12,000. He never even got a loan on it. My grandpa loaned him the money, and he would just pay it back monthly. So, uh, you know, that work ethic got instilled in me in a younger age. Um, if stuff needed to be done around the house, me and Daddy did it, whether it was plumbing or electrical or working on trucks or whatever. But I think I think those two factors of seeing my dad struggle and seeing seeing good opportunity that I I could see at a young age, like man, that makes sense because. Uh, one of his good friends is Ken Newsom. That's a home builder in North Augusta, and I grew up around them. And, and Daddy grew up around him. And Ken developed Hammond's Ferry over there at North Augusta. Ken approached Daddy about getting him on that with him, 
you know, a long time ago before it was ever even really a development idea. And Daddy, you know, I could see it. You know, Daddy had some retirement saved up. He could have invested. Uh, but that fear controlled it, right? And and that goes back to the way he was raised from my grandparents coming out of the Depression. You know, you saved money. You didn't you didn't spend it. You didn't get in debt. Um, but, you know, over the years, one thing you realize, especially having a business, is debt is an opportunity to invest and grow, and, and you can use it for your good. It can be just as bad as it can be good, but that's with anything in life, right? If you use things in the right way, they'll help you grow. If you use them in the wrong way, they're going to take you down. So you just you just have to, you know, be diligent in how you're spending money and how you're making investments. But yeah, if, if I could contribute it, the one thing, it'd be the work ethic that my father instilled in me. And I think looking at society today and me dealing with guys, like we talked about, I've got roughly 80 employees right now. Uh, one thing I see that they're missing sometimes in this culture is a work ethic. But if you look in this culture, there's a lot of fathers missing from homes, right? And I'm a firm believer in how important it is for a father to be involved in the home and involved in the children's life. And there's all kind of statistics to back that up, right? No matter what side of your fence you're on, you, you can look at the statistics and see that how important it is. But I had that. So we, we didn't have money. We didn't have a lot of stuff. Uh, we didn't go on a lot of vacations or anything like that. But I had a good, loving father, a good, loving mother. And, and the things they instilled inside me and inside my spirit with integrity, ethics, morals, it really helped me out. Now, I didn't always follow those things. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I still make a lot of mistakes, right? Uh, I mean, because just like with his, uh, me getting his sister pregnant, right, my wife, like I was told, hey, you don't do that. You know, one thing that we were, we were always raised, like, don't have sex before you get married. You know, don't do this. Now, he never explained to me what it's like being alone with a girl by yourself, right? <laughs> right. Like, you know, yeah. it, maybe if I was a little bit more prepared for all that, things would have went different. But, you you, you know, you grow and you learn from situations, and, and I think that's what it is. Anytime in life, uh, you can't always control what's given to you, but you can control how you respond to it, right? So that's what I always try to take away from that, even, even today with the industrial side. You know, there's always – variables thrown at you yeah stuff that was unexpected stuff that wasn't on the drawing stuff that wasn't in the plan and i and i and i preach to the guys all the time we can't control what comes at us right that's variables but we can control how we respond to them and that's what makes the difference is, is our mindset going into any situation and the way we respond to those circumstances that are out of our control because your circumstances don't have to control you right that's right I felt like we just got a master class in starting a business right there. No kidding. That was amazing. So, Philip, let's let's hear from you for a little bit. So we heard Chris's story coming out of high school or dropping out of high school to, to start work to support his growing family. Philip, you had a different path coming out of high school. Tell us your story. Yeah, so uh, my whole family was military. My dad was a Viet- is a Vietnam veteran. I got a cousin that's a Fulbright colonel, still active. I got a uncle that was a command sergeant major so growing up living on a farm i grew up on a 400 acre farm in us so i had a good childhood i mean no no complaints um so growing up we played you know soldiers in the in the fields in the woods and that's what i always did but going into high school i kind of lost that a little bit started started hanging out with your friends started you know meeting girls and Chris came along, so we started doing the truck scenes, the low riders, and all that kind of stuff, hanging out. So 
the military kind of took a side a sidebar. Um, graduated high school. I was like, I'm gonna go to Augusta Tech and get a get a degree in some kind of uh, mechanical engineering or something. My dad worked at SRS for 33 years, so I was like, I'm gonna go out there with him. So I went to school first semester. Really didn't have the um, fortitude to stay in school because they don't care if you come or stay. You know what I mean? They got your money. So if you come one day a week, they don't care. If you come every day, that's fine. So ended up doing the first semester. Didn't do good. So my dad said, listen, I ain't paying for no more college. Go get a job. And then if you want to come back, you can. So I went I went and worked at, for a temp agency at John Deere plant, building the John Deere tractors. Worked there for probably three or four months. And then I had a buddy of mine, and his dad was a manager of Walmart in Aiken. And he's like, hey, come out here. You can work from 3 in the morning to 12 at 12 in the morning, and you're off the rest of the day. I was like, oh, that's a sweet gig. I can go to the lake when we get off work, you know what I mean? So that's 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 perfect. So I'm driving to Aiken from my helps with Aiken every day in, this, in my low-rider truck. It's eating my wheels up. I'm like, man, it's getting expensive. I'm spending more money on gas and tires than I'm making. So my dad always told me, he said, you, you think life's easy. You know, he's like, go join the Marine Corps. That's what he always told me. You think life's easy, go join the Marine Corps. So I'm driving home from Aiken one day, and I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of this life. Like, this is this is not what I was meant to do to work at Walmart for eight hours a day. It's, this is not me. So I pull, I went into the recruiter's office on Gordon Highway. I pulled in. I walked in. I said, listen, I want to join. I, I want to join. I want to go infantry, and I want to leave in three months. And the recruiter said, nobody's ever walked in here and said that. So something ain't right. He's like, i tell you what. Sit down. Let's talk. He's like, here's some cards. And they had, like, skydiving, bungee jumping, shooting, rappelling. He's like, take the ones you like. Put them in this stack. Take the ones you don't. Put them in this stack. So I did. He went through it. He looked at him. He has a little checklist, and he's like, well, maybe you do want infantry. And I said, I want to leave in three months. And he's like, well, we can do that. I said, well, I got one more thing. I want E2. I'm going to bring my buddy with me. My buddy, David Buller, we've been friends since high school. So I called David up and said, hey, I'm going to Marine Corps. I'm leaving in three months. You're coming. And he was like, man, he had a full-ride scholarship to USCA can play in soccer. So he's like, you know what? They just pulled my scholarship. They're going to give it to somebody else. So I was like, well, come on. So he joined. We left for boot camp. And I stand across the squad bay looking at him for three months, getting drilled, doing all this PT, you know, changing. You could see us changing, staring across the squad bay from him. So we go through boot camp three months. Um, I lost my grandfather when I was in boot camp, which was like my best friend growing up on the farm. So that was, that was kind of tough to deal with. Um, so came home, went to infantry school, um, did that through the winter, through uh, January through March. We're in North Carolina, so it was cold, rainy, snow, sleet. You know, we're in, in the fields, in ditches, training, you know, infantry training. So, um, like, the month before we get out, they say, hey, this, this is the units you're going to. You're going to these units, and this is where they are right now. So my unit I was going to, they were in Haiti, Operation uh, Secure Tomorrow. A lot of people don't know about Haiti when we went because it was – the Haitians were trying to overthrow the government, so we were sent down there to to protect the the government and their entities. So we get on a plane the day after I graduate. We're over in the middle of the night. We land in the next day in this airfield, get shipped on trucks straight to our base and start doing patrols. So from training to patrols, you know, within a week. So it was kind of surreal. But what we didn't know was Haiti. They're not that. They're not war fighters. You know what I mean? They're when they saw us, they're they're scared. They're running. They called us devils with black boots. 
because the Marines were there back in uh, the 90s, and we had black boots back then, so they called them devils with black boots. So they would run from you. They would shoot from afar. So it wasn't – it was more like a vacation. We called it the Haitian vacation. I got a real good tan when I was over there. <laughs> but we, I came back um, – Came back. We worked up some more deployments. Uh, my unit went on deployment. I wasn't able to go because I had a uh, had to have a surgery, so I wasn't able to go on that one. And then uh, Ramadi came up, and Ramadi at the time was the the hot spot because the Marines went into Fallujah in the Army and they pushed all the insurgents out of Fallujah. So where'd they go? They went to Ramadi. So Ramadi was the hot spot, and that's where we were going. So we had our workups. Went to California. Had our all of our workups getting ready to go. So we we flew over there and. We're, we're starting patrols, and these patrols were running from one house to another. We weren't allowed to stay out more than 15 minutes because in 15 minutes they could gang up on us, surround us in 15 minutes, so we weren't allowed to stay out. We did a lot of night patrols, um, looking for IEDs, looking for people putting IEDs in. And one day we went to the same house two times in a row, which is a not a good idea, but we were ordered to go there, so we sat in his house waiting for somebody put IEDs in the roads because that's what's killing Americans with IEDs blowing up their Humvees. So on the way out, <clears throat> we come by these shops and all these stores, there's nobody in the stores anymore. Like all these shops are open. We're like, this is not good. All No stores. People are like kind of lined up on the street like watching you. So it, you get an eerie feeling. And I was standing at a, um, at a wall. So anytime you have a break in a wall, you stand, it's bounding. So you, the next guy comes up, taps you, you run, he covers you. So as soon as he tapped me and I stood up, I got shot. Knocked me off my feet. You know, when you're over there, you don't really think about getting shot. You would think about IEDs. So the first thing I thought when I was hit was like, dang, that's my, that's my leg. Did I lose it? So I dropped to the ground. My buddies are there. Like, I hit the ground. They're there on top of me, like, picking me up. And one of my good my good friends, Patrick Hennessy, was one of the ones that picked me up. They threw me in the Threw me in the um, Humvee in the back of it. The gun truck's going off, shooting shooting the house that the fire came from. I'm getting hit in the face with 50 cal rounds, like falling out the, the gun where they're being shot at. I grabbed the radio and was like, hey, I've been shot. We need to move. And my staff sergeant came on and said, Tussie, is that you? I said, yes, sir, I've been shot. We need to move now. So, like, we're hauling butt back to the to our base, to uh, Camp Fallujah, I mean Camp Ramadi. They take me out, and I go through surgery. Um wake up in the hospital, call my dad, my, my first sergeant, he's hitting me. Hey, you, Tussie, you awake? You awake? And I'm like, I'm waking out this daze from surgery. I'm like, yes, sir, I'm awake. And he's like, you might want to call your dad. So I'm like, all right, I'll call, I'll call him. So my dad's at work, SRS. I knew the number by heart. I picked up the phone, call him. I said, hey, dad, what you doing? He's like, oh, I'm at work. What you doing? I said, hey, you sitting down? He said, why, what's going on? I said, I've been shot. And he used some choice words. Um, he's like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I said, I'm going to Germany. I said, there's no point. I'll be home before you can get here. So I flew out. I flew out to a couple of different bases. End up getting in Germany where they put a rod, screws in, rod through my femur, screws in my hip, screws in my knee, and take me back to uh, the United States where everybody was there. My sister was there. My aunt, my dad, my mom. Everybody was there. So went through rehab for a year. Um, you know, I was like, well. That's pretty much, you know, my time there is over. You know what I mean? I, I can't really run and stuff anymore. So I was like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to try this college thing again. Now I'm, I'm a little more grown up. Stuff's a little easier. I'm a little more level-headed. I think I can do it. So me and my buddy David that we joined with, you know, I was like, hey, where are you going to school? He got he got accepted to Florida State. 
So I was like, well, I'll go to the community college. We'll live down there together. So we go down there, and I'm doing good. I mean, straight A's. Class is easy. I mean, it's so easy. They tell you what they want. You give them what they ask for. School's so easy. I'm like, man, I could, if I had done this the first time, I could have been a rocket scientist. But So it's, it's so easy. Um, but then my dad calls me. He's like, hey, SRS is hiring. Whacking hut. They need security. I said, Dad, I don't know if I can run anymore. I can still shoot, but I don't know if I can run. He's like, well, you got two months before. And I was like, dang. So I don't know if I want to leave. I'm having a good time down here in college. You know, I'm going to school. I'm partying. Best friends here. So I was like, you know what? But I, I was 24. So I went in the Marine Corps at 20. Um, right before we graduated, about two weeks, I turned 21. So I was, I was an older Marine than most of your 18, 19-year-old guys going in. So I was like, let me see if I can do it. So I start running. I ran a half mile. I was like, well, that wasn't so bad. So I worked my way up to running. I said, well, I can, I can, I can do this again. So, you know, I start talking to David. He don't want me to leave. And um, I wanted to be a nurse, right? So I went from protecting people to want, wanting to help people. So I was like, I want to be a nurse. But then I'm talking to people that are in the nursing program. They're like, how hard it is. So I'm like, I'm 24, four years on a good side. I'm 28. I said, man, I'll be 30 years old by the time I get out of college. And Wackenhut was paying just as much as a nurse. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go do it. So I went out to Wackenhut. It went good. Um, my dad was out there, so it was good. It was good to be back home. It was good to be around Chris and Tara and my family. I'm, I'm a, we're family people. Like, a lot of people don't understand, like, our family is everything to us. Like, we're, we're a very tight-knit group, you know what I mean? But that's how we grew up. You know, every, every Sunday we're getting together. I live next door to my grandparents that live next door to my aunt and uncle, so we're, we're, we're very tight. Um, so I get to Wackenhut, and I work. Everything's going good. I'm making good money, good insurance, no complaints. Um, they started, they came around uh, 2009. They're like, hey, we're going to have a layoff. And the, we're union out there. So no matter how hard I worked, no matter how early I was and stay late and overtime, it's not going to matter. I'm just a number, right? So I had a, a major come up. And he said, you know, if I could keep you and I'd let five people go if I could just keep you. He said, but I can't. That's not the way it works. So he said, keep your nose clean. They're going to come back. You're going to get hired back. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go back to Augusta Tech. I'm going to start getting a degree. I'm going to get a degree in uh, electrical. And I called Chris, and he talked, and he's like, you know, he's like, when you're ready to come to work, let me know. He's like, you can work during the day with us and go to school at night. So I was like, well, that's, that's good. You know, I can make some money while I'm in school. So I'm working with Chris during the day and then going to school at night. I have a one-year-old, my wife's pregnant when I'm getting laid off, so everything's a whirlwind. Everything's, like, hitting me hard, but, of course, you know, he was there to, to help me. Hey, you need a job, pay me good, no complaints, working, learning, going to school. So I did that for probably, what, a year, maybe a year and a half, and um, whacking up calls, and they're like, hey, we want you back. I'm like, man, it's, it, was a tough, it, was, it was probably one of the toughest decisions I've made ever made because I'm like, I love what I was doing. I'm in school. It's good, but I have a one-year-old, and I needed that good insurance. And I'm like, if I can just make it five years, I should be good on a seniority where there's no way they could get rid of me again, right? There's, I'd be too high on seniority with the union. So I go back out there. Everything's fine. Like, we're going through, you know, everything's ramping up. I'm getting seniority. I'm, I'm high up on a seniority list. And then negotiations come out. So... Back in the day, from what I was told, they came to the Wackenhut employee and said, we can either give you a 
retirement or you can keep your great medical. So they, they, they chose the great medical and the pay raise. So now they're coming back saying, hey, now we're going to, your medical is going to change. It's going to get more expensive. Everybody's medical has changed over the years. So everybody got together in union and said, we're, we're going we're gonna to go on strike. And, you know, when you're, if you stay together, stuff will happen. But, of course, everybody stayed together. So I came, I called Chris and said, hey, I'm going on strike. You need help. He's like, of course. So I'm back, I'm back working for Chris again on strike. So we're working. I'm loving it, right? So I'm, I'm at home at night. You know, I'm, I'm off on the weekends. And we're at, we're at Wackenhut, we work swing schedule, four on, four off, holidays, birthdays, weekends. It didn't matter. You were working. So a lot of times been away from the family, which I really didn't like. So we're back. Um, we come back from strike. Everybody goes back to work. And, and I was at – Chris was building his house. And I went over there and talked to him. He's like, hey, let, me, let me talk to you. He's like, what do you think about coming and, and starting your a business? And I was like, man, I'm making, I'm making six figures a year again. You know what I mean? I'm making good money, uh, great insurance. And I'm like, that's, that's tough. And he's like, just think about it. He's like, you know, I think you could do it. I see potential in you. So I'm like, oh, let me think. But always growing up, Chris, is, he gave me advice. And nine times out of ten, I wouldn't take it. And it always bit me in the butt. Like, here's a story, and he probably laughed. So I had this low rider, right? And my buddy's like, let's put some wire wheels on it. And I was like, man, that's going to look good. And put these wire wheels on it. So I go to Savannah for the weekend, and I'm coming back. Well, then wire wheels on a heavy Chevrolet 1500 truck don't work. Wheel broke off. I'm sitting on the side of the road. I call my dad. He said, no, you the one that wanted wire wheels. Call your brother Chris. So I called Chris at like 9 o'clock at night. He gets in his truck, comes down, puts a tire on, and we come back. So that was like one of – that's the one that sticks in my head. It's like, let, let me think about what he's doing. He's, he's, he's pretty good at this. Just listen to Chris, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> just listen to him. At least put some thought in it. So we're, we're talking about it. I'm talking to my wife. She's like, you know, I'm behind you, whatever you want to do. So we're at church one Sunday, and it sticks with me. And the preacher's talking about taking risks. And when, when the opportunity comes, it's a risk, but there's a lot good on the other side of it. And, you know, that kind of hit me, kind of hit home. That and my, my brothers and people that I served with, when they got out, they had a hard time adjusting. Like you, I feel like you got two types of people, some that can't adjust and some that make it. You know what I mean? There, there should be a gray area there, you know what I mean? So you go from being – war fighters to like you know you feel important your brothers are there you can't turn around without somebody being right behind you till you get out and now you're on an island by yourself you know what i mean so i've lost good friends to to suicide you know there's 22 veterans that are suicide every day and that's that's tough so i'm like what if i start and chris he mentioned that he's like you could hire veterans you could help these guys so i was like what if what if i could what if we start this business, and if I just saved one person, then it's worth it. You know what I mean? So we start. We started 2019. Well, 2020. What happened? COVID hit. Yeah. But luckily, he was so busy that he needed me. So I was learning while I had my business going, trying to grow it at the same time, and started getting small jobs on Fort Gordon. And I met this one contractor, and he loves what we do. He loves what we're what we stand behind, and I do work for him to this day. Um, but growing and start when I saw myself start growing, I was like, well, let me start 
trying to find some veterans. And it, it's hard to talk guys in, you know, to coming. So I worked with a guy, and he was he's a Marine, and he he worked at SRS with me, but he didn't like the schedule. He he was he was just like me. He's like we're just spinning our wheels out here. Like time's going by, you're doing the same thing today that you did yesterday. So he wanted to get out and learn a trade, and he had always hit me up. Hey man, when you gonna hire me? When you gonna hire me? And I was like, I promise you, as soon as I can, I'm gonna hire you. So I hired him, and he brought more guys with him, but. What I didn't realize is one of the guys he brought, his dad was a Marine. And then he brought another guy and his dad was a Marine. So they might not be military, they might, but they come from that background. They come from that family, you know, and that's kind of what I want to do. I want to, I want a pipeline where you're getting out, you need a trade, you need a trade. So come to me, let me train you. And if you stay great, if you, if you get your trade and you want to move back to where you're from, then, hey, you got something to go back on. You know, you're not just a gun toter like I was. You know what I mean? That's there's not many jobs for gun toting guys out here. Yeah, that's that's like what we spoke of at the office. Is like these guys get out and they're like, well, all I've ever did is kill people. What do I go do? Well, I gotta go work security somewhere. But that's not the case. There's so much more opportunity, and you know, it's not gonna be everybody's path to have a business, right? You know, we need people working in the field just as much as we need business owners. But as a group, if everybody's in their spot working correctly, everything clicks, right? It runs smooth, just like a just like an engine. Yeah. Um, you can't take you can't take the valves out of an engine and it run right. You can't take the starter out of an engine and it run right. You know what I mean? You need all those components. Everything plays an important role. Not one role like like I tell people all the time, I'm only as good as the guys I got working for me, right? Because I can only do what my hands can touch. If I want to grow outside of that, I've got to have people in place that's going to have the same ethics, same quality aspects that I've got, uh, but can can do the work also. So, like, my company is only as good as the guys I've got in the field. At the end of the day, that's the truth, right? doesn't have anything to do with me necessarily. Like, I might be the leader and I might be pointing people in the right direction, uh, but it, I'm only as good as the guys i got working for me. But one thing – like with me pushing Philip to do this. I feel like a lot of times I see people's potential, right? I can I can meet somebody and talk to them a little bit. And and it, sometimes it's a, a burden because I, I feel like I see I want better for people than they want for themselves. I tell the guys that all the time. It's like, man, you know, I want you to be successful. I want your family to have a good quality of life. I want you all to leave here better than you came. Uh, but I think a lot of times people don't, see the self-worth and then that I see him. And, like, I knew full full well that he could take off with this and do a good job, right? But he didn't see that. So that that's, you know, really all I've done is kind of just show him his potential, point him in the right direction and be there for him. Um, and and I've, I've done that with a couple of different groups, um, you know, and and my goal is always to, like, get them on their own and then once once you're ready to go, you go. You know what I mean? And I'm just I'm just a support system for you. But coming from where I came from and, and struggling on my own, I would have appreciated that same mentorship from someone. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't have it, but that doesn't mean that I can't touch people that, that I have an opportunity to help. And I think that's the biggest thing with the direction we're trying to take his group uh, with hiring the military guys and everything. Growing up in Augusta, I grew up around military families my whole life, right? I went to school in Hepsburg. A lot of people working at Fort Gordon settled around that area. 
So I've always been around military families. Um, and, you know, it's hard for them to make a home because they're getting moved so much. Uh, but maybe we can provide a place here that these guys can come out of, you know, the military and be able to learn a trade. Uh, we've got the apprenticeship program through my business and, and through Phillips. Um, so you can come on green, learn the trade, go to school, grow grow your uh, your knowledge base and everything. If you want to stay here, that's fine, but you can take a trade anywhere. There's, there's nowhere in the world that you can't take a trade, and, and I go speak at schools about that all the time, right? Uh, college is great. We need that just as much as we need trade schools, but over the last couple of decades, trade schools had kind of been put to the wayside and everybody was getting pushed towards college. And anybody in the business world now sees the effects of that mentality, right? You, 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 and it's just like I said, every piece of society is important. From the people that's working in the restaurants to the people that's working in the grocery stores to the people that's electricians and plumbers and, and CEOs and everything, right? You need all those pieces to function correctly. Uh, but I think for a while the schools just pushed everybody to, to this. I mean, I, I, I got the same spill when I was in school, right? You need to go to college. You need to go to college. You don't want to work hard. You want to go sit at a computer and do this. Be a computer programmer or this or that. Well, like, I'm OCD, and I'm, and I'm like, uh, I don't sit still. I hate it. They'll tell you, if, if we go to the beach, I'll go set the stuff up on the beach for the girls to lay out. I might sit there for an hour, and then I got to go. Right? I'm going to go back to the house. I'm going to cook a Boston butt, whatever, but I can't just sit there. I got to be doing something. So, yeah, school was – even when I was in school, like I had to drop out because my wife got pregnant, right? But I was never happy in school because I couldn't stand sitting still. I was homeschooled for a while, like middle school time. My mom would come take a belt and strap me in the desk, right? So I would sit down and not get up and run around. It's just like it was tough on me. But a trade provided me with an opportunity to put all that energy to use, Right. Because now I'm working in the field during the day, and I'm and I'm installing conduit, and I'm learning how to pull wire, and it's physical, and it's 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 fast pace. It was everything that I that I needed to be successful, and you know, like you hear a lot of times with the kids nowadays, they're like, uh, uh, he's hyperactive, blah blah blah. Well, I was hyperactive, and and my teachers would even tell my parents like, uh, he's driving me crazy. That joker wants to get up every five minutes and sharpen his pencil, right? That old pencil sharpener, but. I just had a lot of energy. Now, you take that energy and you put it to use in a job, now you've got a fast-paced, hard-working employee, right? So I think it's it's some of just recognizing everybody's different skill set, and, and maybe that's where some training can be better in the education system for, like, guidance counselors and stuff. It's like, let's look outside of the norm, and let, let's start to identify individual kids, see their strengths and weaknesses, and try to help guide them towards their strengths, right? Because everybody's heard old saying, if you convince a fish that it's a failure because it can't climb a tree like a squirrel, it'll go through life feeling like it's a failure. But the fish was never meant to climb that tree, right? It was meant to swim. So I think it's it's important to identify the strengths of each individual and try to really invest in that and, and push that direction on them. It's a really good point, Chris. So um, you guys probably don't know, in a previous episode, we had Jermaine Whirl, the president of Augusta Technical College in here. And we had an hour-long discussion about that very thing, about, um, in a lot of ways, the failure of our 
you know, K through 12 education system and pushing kids to college only, right? And to really, a generation grew up thinking that going to a trade or technical college was, was you know, demeaning to them or in some way was beneath their family goals. Um, and so we're, we're realizing certainly the, the fallacy of that whole thing. And, you know, most of the people that I know um, in, you know, the old school kind of blue collar world, I mean, they do really well in life and they have very happy <laughs> and they make more money than most people sitting behind a desk. And, uh, and so you mentioned apprentice program. Uh, obviously, you have a really good understanding of, of, you know, what is needed in your, your industry. Uh, and, and to grow a workforce, uh, how do you think, uh, let me ask you two questions. How do you think that we should alter the conversation or change the narrative in our education system to really encourage and mentor and teach kids that there is a great path, uh, in the trades? Uh, and then, you know, what can businesses do, uh, to really do what you're doing, apprenticeship programs, and to really give kids opportunities to see what's out there. Because I think that's a lot of what is missing is people don't know what's out there. So it's a, a lot to unpack there, but interested in your thoughts. Well, so so first part of that question, what can we do to, to change the direction that's going on? Uh, I think that's an easy fix. You know, that's something I've already thought through. So... <clears throat> I'll start off by saying I love teachers. Got a lot of friends that are teachers. Very critical uh, part of each one of our lives, right? And and everybody can think back to teachers and coaches they had growing up that were, uh, you know, had a, a, a awesome effect on their lives. But so in my life personally, if I want to make a change, I got to identify my fail points, right? What looking back on this situation, what did I do wrong? What can I change? that's going to help me move forward and come out with a better outcome, right? So if I look at education system over the last 20 or 30 years, you go to elementary school, you go to middle school, you go to high school, you go to college, you walk out of college, you go teach, right? All that person ever knows is education. Uh, there's not a lot of real-world experience in there, right? Uh, I think one thing that we could do is that when, when these – educators are coming out of college if it's a math teacher maybe it would be good to them to go work with a cpa for a couple years and get some real world experience with their math skills right uh history teacher maybe go work in in that field for a little bit uh because they're the ones that's instilling futures in these kids right uh and any of us that have any age on us know that there's a lot of growth that happens outside of school right uh school teaches you guidelines and like and facts but life teaches you like reality and and I think and as those teachers get older they see, they see things differently right but right out of college that's a that's a tough place to be in and it's tough on the kids but if I could speak at a lot of schools and talk about the trades and everything and I'll take the the scale sheet for a plumber and electrician and a carpenter and all that stuff and, I, and I'll hand it out to all the kids and like, hey, here's the hourly rate, right? And I'll have, I can't tell how many times I have a teachers come back up to me and say, man, if I'd have known y'all were making that, like, y'all are killing it. I'm like, yeah, but nobody ever told you that, right? When you were coming up through school, yeah. you were told that this is what you needed to do. Uh, so I think educating our educators a little bit more in, in real life situations. But 
uh, I mean, like, I don't think they're teaching, like, balance and checkbooks and things like they used to. Like, I think there's a there's some gaps in that education system. Well, it's a good, it's a good point, not to interrupt, but it's a good point you make about <clears throat> how for decades, for generations, our education system has produced just educators without a lot of real-world experience, right? So there's not a lot of baseline for the trades. And so you, then you get a generation of administrators who are like, we don't need these trades in school, right? We don't and, – and so we've got some high schools in this area that do have – um, and have brought that back. So mm-hmm. I, I've, I've toured some of the schools. And I've been out to a, a Grovetown High School that has a really cool um, auto shop, and we've got different stuff going on. But, um, you know, a lot of that was taken out. And so I mean, it's a really good point that you make, that it, you were lacking a lot of kind of real-world life experience from some educators that, that don't see that and don't understand, um, you know, what we're seeing. And two, um, families uh, that have professionals. So – Philip, you've got a military family. It's yep. bred into you, military, right? So, I mean, that was an obvious thing for you to join the Marines, even though it took you a little while to get there. Yeah, it took me but a while. it's it's an obvious thing. But you get a family who's like my family, nothing but just kind of like sit behind a desk professionals. That's what I gravitated towards. Yeah. Um, and so you have a lot of folks that don't understand that. I'll, I'll give you one example. I, I met a kid at at the Y. Um, I was this was years ago. I was training for a, an Ironman. Uh, and so I met this kid at the Y, and he was uh, at Augusta Tech, and he was in the uh, welding program. And so I was—I just asked him. He, I heard him over, over, you know, talking about, it, overheard him, and he's talking about welding. And I was like, "Tell me about that." You know, that sounds really interesting. So I mean, this is a kid, inner city kid, that both of his parents were like the most successful, you know, people in both their families. They had pretty good professional jobs, but not high paying. And so he was excited because he was almost done with welding. And his first job that he'd already been offered, he's going to be making more per hour than both his parents combined. Yeah. And he just – this was going to be life-changing for him. And this was something that he was like, no one ever told me I could go do this. Uh, and it was going to be a big deal. So, I mean, education – I'm Chris, I'm so glad that you're in the schools talking about that. I wish we you know, had more folks like you out there doing that. And uh, when I was talking to Russell, there's a, a guy named Caleb Million. He, he works out at John Deere. Um, his wife's a teacher at Augusta Christian, but he started a group called Trade Up Careers, and I've been working hand-in-hand with him. And he, I mean, out of his own time, he's going to these schools, talking to these kids, getting them set up on programs to where at, like, 11th grade, they're starting to identify that they want to go towards a trade direction and, and having us meet with them and, and letting him shadow, let those kids shadow and stuff. But he's also setting goals for them, like, hey, your, your grades need to be here, your attendance needs to be here. Uh, and, you know, I've sent Russell his contact info, but there, it's starting to get steam, right? But, you know, to the point, uh, they say you're a product of your environment a lot of times unless you can break out of that. Uh, so I, I think what you said is true. Like if, if these teachers, it's not necessarily a knock on them, but if that's all they've ever known, of course, they're, they're, it's worked out for them, so they're going to push everybody that same direction, right? Uh, but – if if there's other opportunity and you education can't be cookie cutter anymore right it's got to be more focused on the individual kid if we want it if we want to turn things around uh it's gonna be important because too many kids these days want to grow up and be a youtube star Mm -hmm. so we really need to really focus in on making sure that we've got some people who can uh, actually do some things? Maybe build a house. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you know wire yeah. it. Or, yeah. you know. I, sh- I shared a uh, I shared a reel on Instagram the other day, and the, the guy was like screaming, 
stop trying to be an influencer. We need more electricians, right? It's so true. It's like, you know, uh, but uh, it's, it, and I tell, I tell my leaders and my foreman all the time, it's like, we're not just battling a job sector anymore. We're battling a culture, right? Uh, and if you go on Instagram or you go on TikTok, you've got all these get rich gurus that are, yeah. you, you know, here, here's all you got to do. Get up every morning. You work out at six o'clock, and and then you're going to be successful. But that's not the case, right? Like that's why when I tell my story, I want to be honest, right? Here's how it kind of started. There was a lot of suck in there. It wasn't glamorous, you know. Uh, but that's reality, and you hear all the time that a lot of people will miss the the opportunity to succeed because they quit when it was hard, right? And why are they quitting when it was hard? Because they weren't prepared for it, right? So if I talk to you about having a business and everything, and Philip will tell you this, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be hard. There's going to be rock bottoms, right? But you can get through that. It's not the end of the world. If I prepare you for the worst and it don't come, you're okay. But if I paint you a picture of roses and rainbows and then all the suck comes, you're going to be unprepared, right? So uh, that's what I, I want to. I want to paint a picture of reality to people, and say yes, there's going to be hard times, but you can make it through that. And if you will just fight through those hard times, on the other side of that is where your your uh, success is usually going to come up. You've heard it saying time and time again, it's it's darkest before the dawn, right? And if you ever sit in a deer stand in the morning, I'll tell you it's coldest right before the dawn. <laughs> when that dew starts coming up before yeah. that sun peaks over them trees you're freezing dude but if you can get through that suck right if you can make it through that you're there's there's opportunity on the other side uh so yeah in the same sense so starting to build the workforce up that's one of the places we're focused at is in the schools uh and we've got we've got guys that have started with us right out of high school and been with us five or six years that are very doing very well very successful build houses Call you know they're they're and they're watching their classmates and stuff struggle with student debt after four years and all this stuff and and having trouble finding a job. I mean, God help that you spend four years, you know, going to school, spending all that money, and then not have a job on the backside. That 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 sucks for anybody, right? Yeah. So you know, if if we can just get a little bit of knowledge out there and say, hey, there's other ways, right? There's other opportunity. Um, uh, maybe that's going to help somebody in their life. Yeah. Your guys' stories are amazing. Um, I want to, we've heard a lot about a, your work side, but also some of your personal side too. But our podcast is called range of influence. And we like to kind of find out some things that influenced you growing up. Chris, we heard a lot about your influences and, and, and yours too, Philip with, you know, your military family and everything. But what was your first job in high school or coming out of high school? I mean, we know coming out of high school yeah. what your job was, but so I, I started really at an early age. So I, I would haul a, a lawnmower around the neighborhood in MacBean. You know, it was a little small town. Oh, man, every high school, you know, middle school, high yeah. school, student did some of that. Yeah, I mean, all of us were. So I started back there, but I'd say my first like solid job that kind of taught me a skill was there was a mechanic that went to church with us. He was a retired army mechanic. He had a shop behind his house, and he'd do. Uh, repairs and stuff on vehicles and uh, my dad had a truck that tore up and my dad like I talked about he was tight right yeah but he would find ways to get what he needed he told that guy he said hey if you'll fix my truck 
I'll give you my son to help you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he could he'll he'll be a help and you can just give me a discount. So the yeah. guy's like, All right, whatever. So I was like twelve years old, thirteen years old. But like I said, daddy had done I'd been working with him since I could walk, right? Uh so I went over there and and, and helped him uh with daddy's truck. Well, after I worked with him on that truck, he's like, Hey, I'll give you a job. So every afternoon after school, I was going over there, and all summer I'd spend with him working in that mechanic shop. And we did everything, rebuild complete engines to transmissions to sometimes people bring heavy equipment. We'd change tracks out on track loaders. But, I mean, I was always the kind, if you give me a chance to work, like you probably going to want me to keep working. Even even one funny story, Applewood uh, oh, Golf Course. I was about to bring that up. <laughs> I was going to bring that up if you Apple, uh, Applewood Golf Course out in Burke County was getting built. They built the first nine holes and were building back nine holes. Well, I was, like I said, I was kind of wild and, and had a lot of energy. The four of us went out there to play one day, and we got to play in bumper cars. There you go. And uh, we we messed up some golf carts a little yep. bit. And uh, we got back to the clubhouse, and the guy pulled us over there, and he called my dad. My dad said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, these boys don't have money to pay for it, but they can. you got this back nine that's getting built. You can, you can work them, and they can work their debt off to you. So we went out there, all four of us. We worked for about two weeks, putting sprinkle line like they had the big sprinkle line going on the golf course, all yep. that stuff. And uh, after two weeks, he pulled me to the side. He's like, "Hey, you want a job?" I was like, "Heck yeah, I want a job." That was your dad's like famous story. He yeah. loves that. He used to yeah. tell that story all the time. But now the story, the part he didn't tell is uh, that was about 15 miles from the house. Five, he was six. so he was so pissed off at me when I did it that a couple of them days he made me walk. Yeah. There. <laughs> So, <laughs> I, I learned a valuable lesson out of that. It sounds like it. So, cool. so my first job, paying job, um, so I grew up on a farm, so there was always something to be done, you know, hor- uh, cows, hay bales. So, we was always doing something if I wasn't off playing in the woods. So, I was probably 16. And my grandfather, he did concrete. So, he would always call me, especially in the summer. During the school, my dad didn't really like me working. He said, you need to focus on school instead of working so uh my grandpa owned a concrete business and we would go and help him with concrete um but it was fun it was hard back breaking work busting up concrete putting it in the back of his truck hauling it off um so we did a lot of me and my cousin we did a lot of concrete work for him on houses he he my uncle and my aunt and uncle they built homes in south augusta and he did all their foundations so we was always over there doing um concrete work and then started Doing a little work for my aunt and uncle on the summers. Yeah. What? Hold on. I thought you worked at Chippendales before you did. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, he don't want to tell that story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as uh, you know, four dudes in the room. So as men, you know, a lot of times we seek significance in life over a lot of other things. And so I'm, I'm curious, a personal question. So if you ever found yourself, your life, your story, who you are in a history book one day or you were talked about years after you passed, what's the one thing maybe that you would want to be remembered for? I think as far as, far as myself, I'd like to be remembered of a, of a guy that started a company that helped uh, military guys when they got out, um, you know, give them, a, give them a new purpose. Because once, once you get out, you kind of feel it's, it's, it's a big weight. And a lot of people – they struggle with getting out. They don't. A lot of them don't want to get out. But some of the conditions that they live in on some of these bases is so is so bad 
that they're like, I don't want to have a family in it. You know, I do, I go in some of these houses and I'm like, man, it's just, it's sad. Like, these guys are, you know, they're giving you their best years of their life. So here they are living in some of these dilapidated houses and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. So I would like to be remembered as somebody that helped, you know, the military community get on their feet once they got out. I think for me, it kind of brings up something my dad used to say. He'd say, uh, you know, a man's only as good as his word, right? So if you can remember me one way, I just hope it would be that I was the kind of guy that if I told you I'd do something, I'll do it. Come hell or high water, if I committed to it or if I told you I would do it, that I'll do it. Uh, and and I always try to do that. Now, like I said, I probably make more mistakes and I get it right. Uh, but in my heart, you know what I mean? Like sometimes we, we mean well, right? Uh, but it don't always work out. But in my heart, that's what I want to be is a man of his word. If I if I tell you something, take it to the bank, I'm going to do it, no matter what it costs me. And, and in business, that costs you, right? Yeah. And I can I can name numerous times where we committed to doing something. I missed the mark, right, on what it would cost. Yeah, you, you bid out and you were a little too <laughs> And low. then it's like, well, here we go. Now I can just eat this. And uh, and complete what I set told these people I was going to do, or I can go to scrambling and back, you know, drop it. And and we work behind contractors that do that. They commit to something. Uh, it it it's not working out for them about halfway through, and then instead of them continuing to spin wheels and blow money, they just take up and leave. And then we come in and, and pick the pieces up. But I'm not going to do that, regardless of the cost. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do what's right. That's that's my goal is is to do what's right. That's awesome. And what's crazy about that is um, I do work for MWR and this one guy in particular, and I was over there doing some work for him one day, and he came out and started talking. He said, you know, I was just talking to you, talking to my grandfather about you. He's like, you're one of them old souls that you shake. If I shake your hand, you're going to do it. You're, you're going to do it. Like, I'm not worried that you're not going to come back. He's like, you're going to do it, and you're going to make it right. And to hear that from a customer was like, you know, that's that's what I do. Like if you call me, I'm gonna answer. If I don't have a, if I don't have a, a answer for you, I'll tell you I'll get back to you. Um, if you email me, I'm gonna get back to you. I'm not. I'm just not gonna leave you hanging. But that's something that I've, I've seen. You know, Chris do. So I kind of model what he's done, his success on my business. You know, he's he's kind of like my blueprint. I've just taken his blueprint, put it on my desk, but pulling from that's the military. That's a sad blueprint. Goodness <laughs> gracious. I mean, it's a bi- it's a big one. No, I, I think that's something we miss in our culture nowadays. Like. I had to learn that the hard way because, like I said, I was raised like that, right? So what I knew when 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 we come into agreement, I shake your hand, it's no questions, right? It's yep. going to happen. Well, when you step into the business world, you realize that, I mean, even a signed contract don't mean a whole lot anymore, right? If, true. if it's beneficial for that person, regardless of what it costs you, they're going to do what, what's beneficial for them. But, like I said, I try to be that contrast of that. It, it don't matter if it hurts me. If that's the commitment I made to you, then that's what I'm going to do. It's you know, it is what it is. That's what they say. And education is expensive. Yeah, I've spent some money getting educated on some things, but to this day, I still, regardless of what everybody else does, that's still the way I do business. If we don't have a contract, but I shook your hand and told you that's what I'm going to do, it, it is what it is. That's what's going to happen. That's awesome. We've been going for a while now, and uh, probably uh, need to let you gentlemen get back to your day jobs, but. We always like to end on uh, the question. Um, again, range of influences are are uh, the name of our podcast. 
what experience or person uh, was the most influential in you becoming who you are today? And Chris, I, I have a feeling I know who, yeah, who you, that's going to be. Yeah, I mean, you kind of already know. So, yeah. um, my dad would be the most influential, uh, but w- alongside that in parallel is, is Christ, right? Uh, my dad was a Christian man. So when when I look at God and, and Jesus, my dad's right there, right? I see that because that's the example he, he showed me. And, uh, you know, those biblical values and integrity and honesty and all that stuff was just things that he instilled in us at a younger age. And a little background of that, he – so the dad that raised me is not my biological father. My biological father uh, had some drug issues and stuff when I was like one years old. And uh, my mom had to leave him. She left him and met my dad that raised me a couple years later. I mean, a couple months later. And he always told the story that he fell in love with me before he fell in love with her. So, like I said, we're four of us boys, and me and him had a really close bond. Uh, But there's not many people in your life that will just love you unconditionally, right? At one years old, you got nothing to offer anybody. If anything else, you're just going to be a burden more than anything. Uh, but he he loved me unconditionally, never treated me differently, uh, and and still instilled all that stuff into my life. So that was a special relationship there. So yeah, that's through life. That's one of the most influential people I've I've ever had. That's awesome. Uh, mine probably be my father too. Um, just always took care of us, always there for us, hard working. Uh, Chris can tell you he'll give the shirt off his back. You might not want it, but he'll be there. You know, if I call him right now and say, hey, I got a sick kid at school, can you go get her? He's he's there. He's always been that, you know, that that rock for me. Um, and Chris, you know, I mean, just any time I've needed anything since the time I was 14, I can call him. I can ask a question to him, you know what I mean? And then him just seeing something in me instead of being like, well, what if, what if he comes in and he gets successful and what if he takes a customer of mine or something like that? You know what I mean? He didn't he, – that's not his worry. You know what I mean? He's he's more worried about me growing, and and um, that's you know that's a huge to me. Yeah. Well, and and it's noted. We talked a lot about risk taking and and this. I will want to. I do want to add, uh, Chris. You are a family of risk takers. Your wife also is an entrepreneur uh, in in her yes. own world. Uh, she owns uh, a Southern, shop. Yep. Yeah, she owns Southern Willow Market. Her yep. and her business partner. Started that I think about three years ago, and they started right before COVID. Yeah, into twenty nineteen, and yeah. and then they were forced to shut their doors like six months into it. But same situation, they still grinded it out, worked hard, adjusted, uh, and it's just like we talked about. They could have quit then, right? A lot of people did. Uh, they were paying rent on a building that they couldn't open the doors to, uh, but made sure they paid that rent every month, uh, and. You know, grinded it out, stuck with it, and on the backside have seen growth and success out of that instead of quitting when all that was going on. And, and, you know, it's that's everybody can't – not all business ventures are going to be successful. Some some business ventures are learning experiences, right? Uh, But if you make it through that situation and you learn from it, that's not a loss, right? That's a learning experience. So you take that, what you've learned, and then you go to the next – opportunity right but you still made it through it and you didn't quit that's that's the biggest thing what i love about that is your kids are also learning a lot of of lessons based on 
both of their parents are risk takers and creating their own businesses. So kudos to you and your family. And, uh, you know, Chris, Philip, I've really enjoyed this, this time spending with you guys, uh, hearing your guys' story. One more question for you, Philip, if, if anybody wants to, if, if a veteran or another business wants to find out how they can help, you know, working with veterans, getting more veterans back into the workforce and getting them good jobs that, that can, they can take with them anywhere. What's the best way to contact you? Or? Um, best way is to email at okay. philip at hcclc.group. Okay. Um, just shoot me a line and we can sit down and discuss, you know, anything that we can do to help our veterans out. Yep. Uh, living in a, a community full of veterans, it's admirable uh, what you're doing. And, you know, obviously anything that we can do to support you from the chamber side, we're, we're right there with you. Um, we value our, our veterans and, and we need to get them back into a, a place 100%. where they're, they're working and, and they're feeling valued. So, yes, sir. Um, so again, thank you guys. Uh, we appreciate your time and look forward to uh, catching up with you outside of the, the podcast studio. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you guys. How cool are Chris and Philip? Two humble, salt-of-the-earth kind of guys that you can sit and talk with for hours. I love that they found their purpose in this community and are really killing it. Yeah, Russ, what really stands out to me is how that they lead from their heart. I mean, they're really about their community, and they're the kind of guys that really put people first, right? I mean, their business seems like the kind of business, the old-school way of doing things, right? I'm a, a man of my word. My word is my bond, you know, trust me. And they do what they say they're going to do. And I think that's lacking in a lot of ways in today's business environment. So, I mean, I think what we can learn from them is a great deal of you do what you say you're going to do uh, and put your put your community first and the, th the people around you and everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, you know, you heard that from Chris multiple times in, in the interview that I'm a man of my word and I'm going to do what it takes to make it right, no matter the cost, whether it's on me or whether we just do something extra special for the customer, he's going to make sure that, that they're, it's done right. Well, Russ, as always, we want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for your support. We love watching this show continue to grow, and we want it to continue to grow. So please remember to subscribe to Range of Influence through your favorite podcast app, and be sure to share our show with your friends and rate us on whatever platform you listen from. Well, thanks again to our guests, Chris and Philip. And before we sign off, I want to give one more shout out to our presenting sponsor, Premier Networks. Be sure to visit them at AugustaITGuys.com. Again, that's AugustaITGuys.com. We'll catch you next time on Range of Influence.